The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Friends, delegates, and fellow Americans, I humbly and gratefully accept your nomination for the presidency of the United States. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, July 28, 2016. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be I already know that the blood pressure of many of our listeners has just risen a notch, Robert, with our opener of today's show. That may be part of the reason that Robert and I decided to put our own stamp on what we ourselves think about Trump as president. Not as a presidential phenomenon, which has been the major focus of our recent and past discussions about Trump, but when it comes to Trump himself. Never before have I been witness on such a scale to such heated emotional reactions to Trump for, and particularly against, but from both right and left-wing camps. To say nothing of the feedback we've been getting on Trump, eh, Robert? (laughs) For sure. I'll be sharing some of that in the final portion of our show today, but like Robert, I will also be sharing my own personal, really first impressions of Trump based on what is now his new role as candidate for the U.S. presidency. Robert and I will be kicking, or Robert will be kicking off the show with his own impressions of Trump right after I take a moment, as always, to remind our listeners that they can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, subscribe to Just Right on iTunes, hear us on WBCQ at 5130 kHz and on channel 292 at 6070 kHz, and of course you can visit our website at www.justrightmedia.org. Well, Bob, to start the show off, I'm going to talk about fear and loathing in the United States. And I think that's probably the topic when it came to Trump. And when it comes to Hillary Clinton as well, is the fear and the loathing of both candidates from both camps. Now, by no means is Donald Trump an ideal candidate for president. As a matter of fact, I don't even know if you can define what an ideal candidate is. I think to be a president or a leader of a group of millions and millions of people, you're going to be somebody who has flaws. There's no doubt about it. So we have to accept what we're given. You mean you and I wouldn't be ideal candidates? (laughs) Um, Okay, then I take that back. At least you and I would be ideal candidates, yes. (laughs) But nobody else in the world is. There you go. Okay, we're done. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So he's not an ideal candidate, but we, we, we got him, okay? And first of all, we're Canadians, so we don't even, don't even have the vote. But we're, we're dealt the cards, we're dealt, and we have Hillary, and we have Trump. And we sure have a lot of Canadians who suffer from fear and loathing. <laughs> oh, for <laughs> of the, sure. Of the same phenomenon. Even in the office this right. morning, there was a lot of, uh, oh, yeah? a lot of vitriolic banter back and okay. forth over Hillary and, and Donald. Anyway, Trump does possess at least, I think, one of the qualities that you need to be to be president. First of all, you got to be electable. That's a given. That's part of it. You got to be electable to one of the two U.S. political parties, and you have to be electable to the public at large. And 
you know, a lot of the criticism I heard about uh, Trump from my friends and acquaintances who share my political philosophy can be categorized as either one, he was not as good as, and fill in the blank, you know, usually Ted Cruz or Ben Carson or somebody like that, and therefore he's terrible and I'll never either vote for Clinton or not vote at all, or two, he has not expressed any consistent set of principles and is therefore a loose cannon, while Clinton, on the other hand, has an expressed set of political policies and principles, socialism, and power at all costs, including lying, corruption, deceit, and even negligence to the point of causing death. So therefore, I'll either vote Clinton or not at all. I just have to shake my head at these two uh, rejections of Trump based on those reasons. My personal favorite for a Republican candidate, not that it matters anymore, was Ted Cruz even though he too suffers from many faults which would uh, violate the rights of Americans, notably his evangelicalism, which, um, you know, and all the political ramifications for holding such a belief. But upon further reflection, and with more information at my disposal, I see that Ted Cruz lacked a philosophy consistent with individual rights. He's a constitutionalist, and I have to thank uh, Salim Mansour for... uh, for making me think about him in this way. He's a constitutionalist, meaning that he turned a document meant to proscribe a government and curtail the powers of said government into an ideology. Constitutionalism. He supports the right to bear arms. Why? Because it's in the Constitution. End of debate. He supports the right of free speech. Why? Because it's in the Constitution. End of debate. The Constitution has become his only means of cognition. That which is written shall be adhered to as a religion. There can be no debate about it. If he were a perfect candidate, he would have said, quote, I support the right to bear arms because it is a logical necessity for people to protect their life, liberty, and property. It's a logical consequence of the right to own one's own life, a right which can be reasoned rationally from first principles. I would support the right to bear arms even if it were not in the Constitution. That's what he should have said had he been a candidate worthy of support. The same answer could have been given for the right to free speech and all other rights, whether enumerated or not, in the Constitution. And if he had done it that way, strangely enough, he might not have been seen so much as an ideologue, even though it was still an ideology. That's right, right yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and constitutionalism is not a proper political ideology. Every country has a constitution of some sort. And well, sure. They're not exactly all freedom-oriented, let's put it no, that way. No, and they're all flawed, even the U.S. Constitution. But there's another flaw in Ted Cruz. Uh, He had during the campaign that Trump did not. Cruz failed to realize the purpose for the campaign. The purpose of the campaign was to become the Republican candidate for president. Now, that may sound like a non-purpose or a self-evident purpose, but it's not self-evident. And I'll illustrate it with my own story. You know, I ran to be the Canadian Alliance candidate, and I think it was the 1997 federal election. Now, in order to win the nomination of the members of the party in my riding, I had to defeat a woman who was um, a part of the riding association, a member. Which was a federal political party in Canada, just for our international... It was the official opposition. The official opposition. I ran for them. Now, this woman who was part of the uh, association, she was supported by most of the executive members of the riding association. She had a a greater staff of workers helping her out, making signs, drumming up support, spending time on the phone. I didn't spend a cent. I didn't call anybody. I didn't ask anybody to help me, and I won the nomination. And she was the insider, eh? She was the insider. (laughs) Now, why did I win? Well, on a nomination night, we both had the opportunity to speak. 
My opponent spoke to the candidates as if they were the public at large and that she was trying to educate them um, about policy, a policy everyone already agreed with because we're all members of the same party. Right. My speech didn't even touch on political policy or ideology. I didn't try to teach anybody anything because I already knew that they knew it. I didn't talk about principles. I didn't talk about, you know, what we already agreed on. My speech was about the fact that I was electable because that's why we were there. Which of the two candidates is going to be electable, going to represent the Canadian Alliance in the federal election? That's it. My opponent came out into the game as a preacher, preaching to the converted, just as Ted Cruz and Trump's other opponents tried to explain and defend a conservative ideology to conservatives. I began by saying that we're all in agreement here on our political ideology, so let's just put that aside and I'll tell you why I'm more electable than my opponent is. And just as Trump did, by the way, I mean, what did he do during his campaign? He talked about, look, I'm up in the polls, right? These people like me, this group likes me, that group likes me. And I'm going to win. And I've got, you know, and I'm going to win. And that's what I came out and I said. And I and I won the nomination. Now, I won handedly, by the way, despite catcalls from the association executive from the audience questioning the fact that I was an outsider and only a candidate who spent time on the executive should receive the nomination. They, they were actually shouting this from the floor during my the question and answer period. Well, of course, your, your affiliation with Freedom Party was well known, too. Oh, of course, yeah, they didn't like that. Just like, I guess, is Trump's past affiliations with other parties right. as well, financial contributions. In other words, the establishment wanted an establishment insider as their candidate, and the rank and file disagreed, just like they did in the Republican nomination. Now, while I, I actually ended up losing to my liberal opponent during the general election, I did come in second beating out the conservative candidate, which, by the way, was a rare feat in Ontario. Mm -hmm. I did really well, but there's no prize for second place. So back to Trump. Prior to Trump declaring his willingness to run for president. Well, before before you continue, you should mm -hmm. just make a point that you you were twice elected as school board trustee in the city of London. Well, that was one, of the, handily, that yeah. was one of the things I told people, yeah. you know, it says, look, I'm electable because I have been elected. Right, exactly. <laughs> in other parts, you know, so that's what I talked about, mm -hmm. not policy. No. Now, prior to Trump declaring his willingness to run for president, he was on, uh, you know, numerous talk shows. You, you showed me um, a documentary just last day, uh, which compiled a lot of, of Trump's interviews on talk shows and things like that. I found it fascinating. Over a great span of Over years. Over decades. From when he was very young to the present. Yeah. Over decades, yes. You know, sometimes he explained political, his political philosophy in great detail. You know, talking about things like uh, Iraq and Iran, monetary policy, foreign policy, trade deficits, immigration, all of these things he's been talking about for decades. He talked about the devaluation of the Chinese uh, yuan. He talked about Obamacare, unemployment. He was upfront as anyone about his political ideology and his idea of what America should do about the problems it was facing. So for anybody to say that he's a loose cannon, that they don't, and he, he expresses no political ideology or philosophy, I think they're wrong. He's been expressing it for, for decades. He also expressed an unwillingness to run as president himself, hoping that somebody else would do the proper job and lead the United States into prosperity and security. He waded through several failed presidents, from Clinton to the Bushes to Obama, only to reluctantly, finally, decide to put himself forward for the job himself because nobody else was doing it. it sounds like me and you sometimes yeah. <laughs> that's why we put ourselves on the line because nobody right. else is doing it you know it's a common adage in politics that the memory of the public is only as long as the, the most recent crisis you might talk to somebody today about 
uh, I don't know, the OPEC oil shortage of 1973, and they don't know what you're talking about. You might try to remind them of the Chicago riots during the 1968 Democratic National Convention, and they've never heard of them. You could mention the mortgage rates of 1982 were 15%, and they wouldn't even believe you. People's memories, at least when it comes to politics or the economy, are very short. Now, with the exception of some well-chosen hot-button items which captured the concerns of the GOP delegates, Trump spent little time expressing his political philosophy during the nomination campaign. That was one of the qualities that you needed to get the nomination. Instead, he talked about himself. He talked about why he understands the public better than any of his opponents. He constantly reminded the electorate that he was doing great in the polls. He talked about how he knows how corrupt the system is better than anyone else, and only he, therefore, is capable of fixing it. He didn't get bogged down in the constitutional law, philosophy, religion, policy, or arguments. He made it known that he was on, the, on their side and that he can beat the Democratic candidate. That's it. That's what Republicans wanted and needed to hear. And that is why he received their overwhelming support. He became across as a winner, and he won. Now, having his re- received their support on Thursday, last Thursday, um, his acceptance speech began to spell out his plans to defeat Clinton. He was no longer talking to Republican Party delegates. His audience on Thursday night was the American people. Now he began to talk about the issues, and the issues he'd been talking about for decades before, the issues which he has to convince the American public only he can solve as president. I may be wrong, but if Cruz had won the nomination, he probably would have given a 10-minute acceptance speech thanking the delegates and thanking God for his nomination, and perhaps reminding the delegates once again why the Constitution of the United States is a flawless document which should be held as a banner going into the November election. Last Thursday, Trump took the opportunity to speak to the American public for over an hour, setting out his agenda if he were elected president and beginning to gather support to his cause and foment unrest in the Clinton camp. He addressed Bernie Sanders supporters, trying to bring them into the fold by saying that he agrees with Sanders on the issue of job loss to other nations. And in pure Trump style, he took advantage of the opportunity of free airtime on all national TV networks to begin his campaign in defeating Clinton. Furthermore, the Packer and a whole progressive party is sure losers. Now, if you want to pick a real winner... I'm not interested in picking a winner. Well, I knew that the day you married this guy. (laughs) Oh, that's funny, Art. Very funny. Well, let me tell you something. You don't know anything about the progressive ticket. I know one thing about this election. It's going to be won by Floyd J. Lundy, your distinguished incumbent. Lundy? My man. Oh, uh, how can you be for Lundy? I mean, look at his record. He's against school busing. He's voted down every pay raise for teachers, and he's a hawk on Vietnam. A great American. <laughs> oh, there's another one of them pamphlet pests. They're going to be ringing a door all day long. We ain't interested. <laughs> wrong. I'll tell you what's wrong. I'm trying to vote my conscience and I, 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 I can't even hear it anymore. I have only two choices for city council, a professional liar and my brother the joke. <laughs> Neither of them should even be running for office. There is no choice. My only choice is not to vote at all. Democracy is horrible, absolutely horrible. <laughs> You're so right. 
Democracy is the worst form of government there is, <gasps> except for all of the others. Oh. And that is exactly why you have to vote. No! Yes! No! Yes! <laughs> if you don't vote, you can't complain. Complaining is all I have left. <laughs> you know, Bob, I could find little fault with Trump's acceptance speech last Thursday if the goal was to capture the hearts and minds of the American people. And here's just a few of the, the phrases that I, I picked from his, uh, his written text anyway. Here's one. The most basic duty of government is to defend the lives of its own citizens. Any government that fails to do so is a government unworthy to lead. That's how he started off his speech, and he's absolutely correct. He nailed it right there. That's the primary function of government. That's what I want to hear from a president. I was very impressed with that. I I said, wow, you got that one down right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So in other words, he's setting the stage for his entire speech. This is why I have the policies that I have, basically, he's saying. is because the purpose of government is. Here's another one. Poverty and violence at home, war and destruction abroad, will last only as long as we continue relying on the same politicians who created them. A sentiment shared by everybody, I think. As a matter of fact, we're seeing it with Brexit. We're seeing it with um, Trump... You know, people are really starting to identify that why do we go to the same people to solve a problem when they're the ones who created it? Again, bang on. Here's another one. I have no patience for injustice, no tolerance for government incompetence, no sympathy for leaders who fail their citizens. I think this harkens back, Bob, to um, that show that he did, you know, You're Fired. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I, never, I, I never did watch that show. I never did either. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that's the catchphrase from it. And, mm-hmm. and I think it, it, it encapsulates his intolerance for incompetence. He's just not going to take it. And I think that that's a, what the people want to see and want to hear from him. Quote, nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. Now, that's a little self-deprecating, and I think it was like, as a matter of fact, you should see his little impish grin when he said that, you know, pointing to himself, you know, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, I know, I use the system. People like that kind of honesty. He's not trying to cover it up. He's not being deceitful. He's not lying. That was the first thing we observed about Trump on the first show that we ever talked about. Oh, him. yeah, yeah. A plain talker. Plain talker. He was the guy that put his hand up when he when, when asked if, you know, if you don't win, are you, can we count that you're going to support any other candidates? He, he, did, he put his hand up. He was the only one that said, I won't be possibly supporting the Republicans. Mm-hmm. Here's a quote from his speech. I am the law and order candidate. Now, that's, a, that's an old refrain from many old speeches, but you know something? Coming from Trump, everybody latched onto that and going, oh my God, he's going to be another Hitler, another Mao, another um, Mussolini. Look at the way he holds his head up, you know, when he's um, pausing in his speech, you know, just like Mussolini did. Excuse me, I looked at his speech, I didn't see him do that, except maybe to look up at the gallery, you know, in the Colosseum. The, the superficiality of the way people have responded to him in comparing him to other people is a little disturbing. But that's what you do when you yeah. when when you when you're when you're on one side or the other that's as a right. party. I mean, that's that's when it gets really rough. Even in the Democratic convention that's going on this week, look at how they're treating each other. And then once all that's behind them, then you start seeing the ca- the campaign for what it really is. Well, actually, the Democratic National Convention is a gong show. I just saw, saw this morning a clip of a woman who was complaining, talking about mental illness, and then she went into a song. I'm going, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> what is this? Well. You know. And finally, here's a quote from his speech that I liked. As, as your president, I will do everything in my power to protect our LGBT 
citizens from violence and oppression of a hateful foreign ideology. Boy, that nailed two birds with one stone. It picked on uh, ISIS, it picked on radical Islam, and it also said that he is not the kind of guy out there that people are painting him against gays or whatever. He's for that community and for their rights, and he's going to protect their rights like he'll protect everybody's rights as a president, which is what should happen. So I tell you, he's um, batting a thousand with his speeches and um, trying to get the hearts and minds of the American public. But I could find a little fault, you know, with his speech on philosophic grounds, especially with regard to economic policy and trade and things of that nature. But Trump wasn't there to preach about economic theory as much as to capture a mood of desperation in the American people. You know, a mood of frustration and even despair, which he needs to sympathize with, even as a billionaire. You know, he can sympathize with the unemployed and the poor. Last Thursday wasn't the time for lectures on why current monetary policy is detrimental to economic growth and better wages. It was a time to rally the troops to go over the wall. As a non-politician, Trump is perhaps one of the best politicians to come along in in my lifetime, I think. You know, you can see that I've turned a liking to him when um, a couple of months ago we talked about Trump and I wasn't on side with Trump at all. But um, I've, I've come to like him. During his acceptance speech, you know, he said uh, something like the following, I'll present the facts plainly and honestly. We can't afford to be politically correct anymore. I, I love that. That's like a Don Rickles type of thing. You know, he's old school. He comes from the same decades that you and mm-hmm. I do, a little older. He's 70. Um, I think you're in the 60s. I'm, I'm mid-50s. So we know what it's like to be, when we saw this political correctness come along, we're going, what? You know, come on, grow a bit of a skin, people. He says, um, so if you want to hear the corporate spin, the carefully crafted lies, and the media myths, I like that, the Democrats are holding their convention next week. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And that is so true, you know, especially when he picks on the media. I mean, what politician ever should pick on the media? That's one of the golden rules in politics is that you don't pick on the media because they're your voice. You know, Donald Trump is 70. And, and, you know, of course, we're not that old, but... um, you can make an ethnic joke in the vein of a Don Rickles before, right? And um, actually laugh rather than be offended. That's the whole point of humor, I think, is to laugh at yourself sometimes. I remember people finally being able to ridicule racism as the character Archie Bunker did in the 70s. Remember that? With that kind of openness and lighthearted criticism of all things political, religious, and sexual, the three taboos of polite conversation, Trump obviously finds it stup- stupefying that in this day and age we're living in with such racist, politically and sexually stultifying society. You know, I I remember distinctly sitting and watching Archie Bunker and All in the Family in the 70s as as either a, a late teenager or in my early 20s and thinking, boy, I'm glad that they can finally talk about this and laugh about it because it was pretty bad before. The death of racism, we're, we're seeing it witnessed here that, in that Hollywood. That was my feeling too. And then all of a sudden we've gone completely the opposite we've direction again, yeah. as though all that progress was just tossed out the window. Yeah. And the thing is that that show evolved out of very left-wing Hollywood. Yes. You know, and now it was the left-wing Hollywood and left-wing America that is saying that, no, you can't say that word on, you can't say the N-word. You can't call people racist. You can't do this. You can't do that. Find that guy $35,000 like that Quebec comedian who was fined last week for, uh, you know, apparently insulting a guy because of his facial features. You know, we've gone just bananas in this in this society. It's all it's all calculated to 
nobody's really offended by those things. What they're trying to do is stop a debate, stop the discussion. They don't want the discussion to go on. That's what it is. And then they want to control the discussion. Yes. And by uh, accuse, you know, accusing anyone who has anything positive to say about what should be done, you can accuse them of being a racist, homophobic, whatever else you want to do, when in fact those things are rarely, rarely, rarely at the root motive of people's racial comments. It really, it, mm -hmm. really aren't. I, I know a lot of people who make racial comments who aren't anything close to racist. Of course not. Of course not. You know, America needs to be reminded of what they once had. That's what they need. They're and the melting pot. They have all yeah. kinds of races. Come of on, course. what do you expect? They need a, they need a rabble rouser, a, a cheerleader, and a passionate champion. That's what they need. They'll not find that in a Hillary Clinton, a woman who puts the, the crone in cronyism. <laughs> they will find that in Donald Trump. And I'll repeat that. When I came into this uh, run-up to the U.S. presidential election, I was not a Trump supporter. But given the opportunity, you know, which I don't really have as a Canadian, I would hope that the American people would take advantage of this golden opportunity and this one particular character in Donald Trump uh, that's been given to them and, and, and choose a president who I think will make their country great again. That's probably Lionel, right on time. Be right there, Lionel. Hey, Coffee? Uh, no thanks, Mrs. Bunker. No, Ma, we gotta get going. Let's go. I don't know if I'm in that big a rush, Mike. I've been thinking about passing up this demonstration. Hey, right. hey, what's this I hear? Here's a guy that knows his onions over here. You know, you people got more brains than they give you credit for, Lionel. <laughs> hey, Lionel, Lionel, how, how come you change your mind? Of course he's smart, that's why, meathead. Minority is like Lionel. I gotta be careful about calling attraction to themselves, that's all. You know, there are some whites that got it in for your colors. <laughs> that's why your colors have to behave better. They gotta act nicer, they gotta try harder. Yeah, that's right. We's like Avis. Check. <laughs> Look, Mike, the reason I was thinking of not going is, see, I was talking to my cousin Spencer on the police force. Hey, Lionel, I didn't know you had a cousin a cop. I never heard that. Yeah, well, he the white sheep of the family. Solomon. How much do we really know about him? He claims to be a family man, but what kind of family? There's no hard proof that the Solomons are linked to the Gambinis, the Genoveses, and the Corleones. But is that a risk you're willing to take? Harry Solomon, an offer you can refuse. Paid for by decent, God-fearing citizens for Gansmiller. Look at that! We can't be in the mob! We're from Ohio! That's terrible! You are so out of the game. That was a gimme. He mentioned my name like 20 times. That was great publicity. But he, he's a liar. Dick, let me talk to you like you're a two-year-old. You know how when you see a commercial for Cheerios and they keep showing you Cheerios and you really want Cheerios? Do we have any Cheerios? Right next to the embarrassing defeatios.
You're listening to Just Right, and you can find every past broadcast of the show from its very beginning to today's show online at www.justrightmedia.org. Talking about Donald Trump today again on the show. And I ran into an article in the National Post on July 19th, Robert, with the heading, Trump Fuels a World of Flame. And this was the National Post's own editorial. And after reviewing a list of, quote, history's catastrophic events that often spring from unexpected beginnings, quote, unquote, and sounding a lot like the theme of our show with Salim Mansour last week of unintended consequences, I thought that was where they were going to go. But instead they concluded, quote, It's a time when strong leadership would seem to be called for, but strong leadership can easily get confused with simplistic measures. Build a wall, kick out the immigrants, take back the country. In the wake of the attack in Nice, France, the odious Newt Gingrich demanded the U.S. test every person with a Muslim background and deport those who profess a belief in Sharia law. Gingrich was reportedly on a short list of candidates considered by Donald Trump as a potential running mate. Instead, Trump chose Indiana Governor Mike Pence, known for his anti-gay views and a state law enabling employers to discriminate on the basis of religion. Gay marriage, Pence says, brings about societal collapse. Opposing it is God's idea. Trump is the opposite of a strong leader. He's an unpredictable firebrand who owes his position to a talent for rousing populist outrage and feeding prejudice. A Trump presidency would be a recipe for disaster. Trump in the White House would be a mistake of frightening proportions. End quote. What do you think of that one, Robert? Well, it's interesting that Pence seems to go against what Trump is saying, but I don't think it's actually going against it. Remember when Trump talked about LGBTQ um, community, He's basically saying he's going to protect their rights. It's not a moral judgment on their behavior. Yeah. It was the protection of their rights, which is what his job is. Different different issues, but even so, when somebody has a moral judgment against someone, people assume they're going to be um, ruling against them, yeah. you know, and nor- normally they do. Well, that's a, that's a <laughs> rational fear. However, you know, I read this, I read this National Post article, and I'm, I'm seeing this as political literalism, and it, it's almost laughable yes. in, in so many ways. And that's how a lot of people have looked at Trump, taking his comments literally. And I, I, and I was listening to Andrew Lawton, who was, of course, now at the GOP himself, and he had interviewed many of the gay groups there, and they said that Trump is the most pro-gay candidate they have ever seen. Yeah. And, and, and that was people at the convention. Now, mind you, there's, there's people on both sides of that issue. But what I have in my possession here is a partial transcript of Donald Trump's New York speech on the stakes of the election. He did two speeches, by the way. The, another one, they were both very uh, similar to, to the one he gave on uh, last week, Thursday. And then he says, uh, I'm running to give back to this country. Whenever I hear a politician say something that even sounds remotely like giving back to the country, I'm going to be a little bit of a cynic here. The the first question that crosses my mind, if so, what did you take from the country that wasn't yours in the first place, right? I just see that as meaningless rhetoric. But it sounds noble and altruistic, which are two qualities the voters seem to like. And so I can understand why almost every politician says those things. Well, you know something? I wouldn't take it literally either. I wouldn't fall into the same track when when he talks about taking um, from the country. What he's taking is um, a a belief that his success has come about because of the ideals of the nation. That's what he's taking. I agree. But if you want to, like I say, if you want to be the cynic, that's how how people will look at it. And then he says, um, it's not just the political system that's rigged, it's the whole economy. 
And, well, I would say to that economies that are rigged are crony economies, not capitalist economies based on free markets, which are markets free of coercion and state intervention and the determination of prices, supply and demand, etc. So to this degree, I can agree with Trump. However, what he appears to be a proposing with putting America first is simply a re-rigging of the economy to serve different interests. And that's something that still has to be seen. We, some of these statements he makes could be interpreted two different ways. We talked about kids failing in schools, that that's rigged as well. Here again, I can agree with the fact that public schools are failing our children. In fact, that was the very headline of a bulletin Freedom Party distributed way back in the days, Robert, when, when, when you were running for school board trustee and got elected twice. Remember Daryl Skidmore's reaction to that pamphlet that schools were <laughs> failing our children? Wow. He was the chair of the board. He, yes. Not the chair of the board, but the administrator of the board. Right. And yeah, he freaked. <laughs> So, uh, boy, th yeah, those were the good, bad old days. Uh, however, we really know nothing about how Trump precisely will intend to change this, but this is part of the process that will be happening. And then he says this election will decide whether we are ruled by the people or by the politicians. Well, I get the, the implication of that. I just don't think it will. The, the, that dynamic never changes. The people, quote-unquote, do not rule. They vote. And in voting, they consent to a given governance. The very concept of the will of the people is a bit of a fiction in the, in the sense of direct democracy or any variant of it. The people in a democracy consent to their governments. In a free society, no one rules anyone else, even under majority rule, which is not about ruling or governing, but about counting votes. That's what it's about. And uh, he says, I will end the special interest monopoly in Washington, D.C., now, I would fully support such a proposal, but not in the absence of definition. You know, isn't it funny that all voters have a special interest in voting? I mean, a lot of voters just vote because they want something for nothing. Is that a good reason to vote? Uh, do they vote in their own general interest at the expense of fellow citizens, or do they vote in the general interest for policies that treat all people equally? I mean, we could, we could argue about the voters if you want to get down to that issue. And labor and business interests are the largest special interests who would rob their fellow citizens at the drop of a hat if the government gives them a license, right? So I'll be kind for now and just say I'm a little skeptical on this promise, but uh, generally things are pointing in the proper direction. Then he talks about, and this is where a lot of people on the free trade issue get a little riled up. Quote, we got here... This is Trump speaking. We got here because we switched from a policy of Americanism, focusing on what's good for the America's middle class, to a policy of globalism, focusing on how to make money for large corporations who can move their wealth and workers to foreign countries, all to the detriment of the American worker and the American economy. Now, we've spoken at length on globalism. Globalism as such is a non-issue, uh, no more or less than is nationalism or isolationism. The issue is, are we experiencing global socialism or global freedom and capitalism? If the former, I'm opposed to globalism. <laughs> if the latter, I'm all in favor of it. There's, there's a choice. It's like you said something similar the other day. You said it wasn't, it wasn't nationalism, it was socialism that was the problem. Yeah, for it's the, the Europeans. The yeah, Europeans right. that they attacked the nationalism of uh, Nazi Germany, but they, they embraced the socialism when it was the opposite they should have right. done. And then he says, we punish companies for doing business in America and keeping our workers employed. This is not a rising tide that lifts all boats. Now, here Trump may have a valid point in terms of America's domestic 
economic policies, but those policies do not represent globalism as a policy or objective. Economic globalism is mere trade over a geography that transcends political boundaries. He says we need to reform our economic system so that once again we can all succeed together, he says. But of course, I'm, I'm asking myself, reform it from what to what? From socialism to capitalism or from socialism to more socialism? We don't know yet. But the trend looks good from other things that he has been saying. We have to look at them all in context. And what he's saying now, not what he said, you know, and all the silliness going into the, into the primaries. He said, we must start making our own products again, uh, bringing our once great manufacturing capabilities back to our shores. Now, this sounds patently dangerous to any economy if it's protectionism we're talking about in that sense. That would be a job loser, especially in a domestic market that is too small to sustain the much higher levels of production that making products for other countries allows. Right? That's where they're getting their jobs from, is selling more products to more people. If you cut the number of people down, to the, which would be only in your country, you aren't going to be producing as much. So free trade is essential to this possibility. Trump quotes George Washington calling for, quote, the encouragement and protection of manufacturing in America. He quotes Abraham Lincoln, who said, the abandonment of the protective policy by the American government will produce wanton ruin among our people. Then he complains that Hillary Clinton support, or, yeah, Hillary Clinton supported Bill Clinton's disastrous NAFTA, which, of course, we as Canadians do not regard as disastrous, and neither do most Americans. But I think, here again, I have a feeling... Trump's talking more about Mexico than he is about Canada and the situation they have there. But on these points, taken at face value as I've just read them, I'm in total disagreement, if I just look at them at, as that, with Trump, with Washington, and with Abraham Lincoln. A, a protective policy with regard to self-defense and the protection of the realm, yes. But a protective policy protecting Americans from freedom and from free <laughs> markets? I don't think I would accept that. I, I'll say I'll reject that. And Trump says, I want trade deals, but they have to be great for the United States and our workers. Well, what other kind are there? <laughs> Who would possibly sign a deal that wasn't great for their own self-interest or in which they didn't gain? That would only happen if a state intervened and forced a bad economic deal on a company by forcing them to produce at a loss. It's a meaningless statement that could be interpreted in so many ways. As a matter of fact, you know, when, when you're talking about trade deals, it's one thing to make up a trade deal. It's another for the private industry and private companies to actually engage in that trade. If they don't find it in their best interest, they won't trade. Of course not. You can't force them to trade as a government in a, in a free society that we have here. And when, and when Trump talks about winning in a trade deal, that doesn't mean the other side's losing. It means you're getting the best deal. That's all it really means. There aren't winners and losers in free trade. There's only... In, in any trade, it has to be a win-win yeah. in any trade. Otherwise, Nobody's going to trade if they're going to lose. That just makes sense. Or at least sense. cut your losses. If, if, mm -hmm. if your only option is that you're going to lose, and this trade deal will help you cut those losses because yes. that's how business operates. Now, another issue, of course, that he brings up, which is his big one, quote, perhaps the most terrifying thing about Hillary Clinton's foreign policy is that she refuses to acknowledge the threat post by, post, posed sorry, by radical Islam. Now, this is Trump's Trump card and reflects the mood of a great majority, whether we like to hear that or not. I hear it every day on the talk shows from the public callers. And, of course, he gets into a whole point on this. 
Interestingly, again, speaking to the gay issue you mentioned before, he, he, he literally referred to uh, the father of the Orlando shooter was a Taliban supporter from Afghanistan, one of the most repressive anti-gay and anti-women regimes on the earth, he says. And like, like you, I found that a curious concern to raise, given what we just heard from the National Post and his running mate, Oh, which, which would leave in most people's impression, impression that he's going to be anti-gay. Mm-hmm. And that is what they're trying to do. And, and that just bothers you know, when you bring up the um, ISIS and terrorism and war, a lot of people say that Trump, he's, he's the kind of man who's going to push the button when it comes down to it. And you know something? I'm less afraid of that than I am of Hillary Clinton, Clinton not pushing the button when it's necessary. If, if there is a world situation that would lead to that, Trump will not be the cause of it. No, he won't. No. But he will end it. He, one way or the other. <laughs> and he may make mistakes Clinton, and whatever. Clinton uh, would appease the aggressor. Right. She would not go to war like that. I think she, even though most Democratic presidents are the most uh, warmongering. Um, but, you know, just a quick summary of what he said. He said a few of the things he would do in the first hundred days. Appoint judges who will uphold the Constitution. Huh. Well, that's wow. a novel idea. Isn't that horrible? <laughs> Ted Cruz, are you listening? Cancel rules and regulations that send job over, jobs overseas. This is not the same as saying put up trade barriers, but it could be. But I'm, I'm saying no for now. Lift restrictions on energy production. Yes, yes, yes. Repeal and replace job-killing Obamacare. Yes, yes. immediately. Uh, pass massive tax reform to create millions of new jobs, impose tough new ethics rules to restore the dignity to the office of Secretary of State. And this is what he means, again, by putting America first. And he says, come November, the American people have a chance to issue a verdict on the politicians that have sacrificed their security, betrayed their pr- prosperity, and sold out their country. And again, he's getting into the whole infrastructure thing, creating jobs that way. We hear that from a lot. But that's Donald Trump, and that's what we have to start judging him against. And the point here is that what we're hearing from him now are the standards and promises against which he must be judged from this point forward. Should there be a toll on the Cherry Street Bridge? Well, I never use it. Yes. <laughs> yes. But what if I start using it? Uh, no. Smart money on no. What am I thinking? There's nothing good on Cherry Street. Yes. No. No. Yes. A resounding no yes. Okay, let's move on to the candidates. This should be a no-brainer. City Council, District 9, Harry Solomon. Yeah. What? Don't tell me you're voting for Gans Miller. Don't tell me you're voting for Harry. Well, yes, I'm voting for Harry. Well, then you're voting wrong. There's no such thing as voting wrong. Yes, there is. You're doing it. <laughs> you're making a mockery of this whole election by voting wrong. It's my vote. I get to use it any way I want. What's the point of having a democracy if people go around voting wrong? In my opinion, democracy is doing just fine the way it is. But your opinion is wrong. I can't believe you're voting against your own brother. <laughs> just watch me. Dick. You're not going to vote for me? Well, that hurts. And I know, because I feel your pain. (laughs) But Harry Solomon is not worried. (laughs) Because Harry Solomon knows that Harry Solomon can win. How can you possibly win? Because Harry Solomon appeals to both sides. (laughs) 
here's a list of candidates and referendums. So, you're all set. You come back here in two weeks to vote. Right. And uh, how many times do I get to vote? <laughs> One time. And it doesn't matter that I'm brilliant? No. <laughs> Have you noticed how tall I am? We all get one vote. So your opinion counts equally with mine? You got it. You're awfully smug for a man who works at a folding table. Well, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we plan to review some of the feedback we've been getting over the last couple of months. Robert, we're really getting behind in being able to do that, partially because of the quantity of it we're getting and the number of people responding on Facebook and on the various emails we're getting. And so I just wanted to make sure that before we spotlight a couple of our uh, more recent comments back to us through feedback, that we acknowledge some of you who have been writing us, just to let you know we do read all your stuff and we do, do take note of it and sometimes it becomes part of our show. I want to make sure that we uh, acknowledge folks like Mike P. in London, Ontario, Dennis N. of Chestermere, Alberta in Canada, Murray T. of Calgary, Alberta. We love you, Murray. Yes, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, Liam T. in Trenton, Ontario, Bjorn L. in Markham, and of course, uh, we have Rob S. in London, Ontario, Trevor D., who steadfastly sends us great links and bits of information, Lorenzo D., who hears us on shortwave in Italy, Dario G., who also hears us on shortwave in Italy from his t- hometown of Dolo, north of Italy, near Padova and Venice. I love it when these people write us and tell us where they live and things like that. It wouldn't be north of Italy, though. That would be in Italy. <laughs> well, it's in the north part of Italy. Ah, Sorry, that's go. what he yes. meant. Yeah. And uh, Nobukaki T., who hears us on shortwave in Tokyo, Japan. Ah. And I know you've already acknowledged Vasily L. from the Samara region in Russia, also a shortwave listener. Uh, Patrick R. from Austria, Peter S. and Bill F. from London, Ontario, Conrad R. from Niagara Falls, and a few others we'll hear from in a moment. And thank you to the hundreds of our growing Facebook posters for providing us with lots of material for discussion. I only wish it were possible to find the time to address and reply to each of you. And I have to say, though, Robert, our shortwave listeners are among the nicest and friendliest correspondents as a group. They're just amazing that we ever get feedback from. Shortwave listeners seem to be very cultured and very polite. Uh, You know, I'm just saying, unlike some of our Facebook posters, (laughs) (laughs) among them being this one we got about last week's show with Salim Mansour on Donald Trump. And she posted to Facebook, this is Alfonso D., Quote, comparing Donald Trump to some epic tale is sheer insanity. You people are nothing more than conceited racists. Obama's legacy will speak for itself. You people are upset that a black man did so well in the face of white people's hostile futility. It would have pleased you if the country had folded under Obama's watch, but instead it thrived. It rubs you and people like Rush Limbaugh to see a black man accomplish anything in your racist, hate-filled world. But guess, guess what? You lying about events won't change the truth. Obama did very well despite you red, your, your redneck's narrative to the truth. Your redneck mothers and fathers lied to you about the attributes of black people, and you people, Donald Trump included, ain't no master race. 
Now you have proclaimed Donald Trump to be the white folks champion riding on his trusty white horse to save you all from the big bad black man Obama. You people are sick to your souls. Only a loving God could flush that filth from your rotten souls. <laughs> the, the irony at the end is just uh, <laughs> not missed. But I have rarely in my entire life ever heard such an outrageous and shameful racist diatribe leveled at what I happen to know are the three of the most non-racist people I know, <laughs> myself being one of them, you and Salim being the others. Oh, by the way, Alfonso, um, Salim is from India, and he's a Muslim, and he's on our show quite often, and we yes. love him a lot. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, being called a redneck was a little interesting. Yes, um, we're Canadian, for God's sakes. The only time we get a redneck is in July. <laughs> the rest of the time, we're as pale as uh, a sheet of paper. That's right. <laughs> Alphonse obviously doesn't know any of us personally. It feels comfortable to post online that we're nothing more than a bunch of conceited racists. Now, we never once mentioned Rush Limbaugh, yet she's written it rubs you and people like Rush Limbaugh, blah, blah, blah. Um, I haven't listened to Rush in decades, but I seriously doubt that even he has uttered any really racist statements. This is the problem with folks like Alfonso, who see everything through the lens of racism's color differences. It's something that has to be learned, and somebody's teaching this. Our disagreement with Obama is not about the color of his skin, and I defy the writer to cite a single example of any such inference. Rush Limbaugh, whatever he may have said to this said that, that upset this writer has nothing to do with our commentaries. Yes, I'm upset by Obama's governance, intensely, not because of the color of his skin, but because of the color of his ideas. Red. <laughs> In this regard, I dislike all socialists, communists, fascists, and racists, and other collectivists equally. And, and you know, when she says, you're lying about events won't change the truth, and about our redneck mothers and fathers, here again, always from the left, we get not even one single example of one of the lies so that we can respond. And I have to say, my redneck mother and father were born in Hungary. <laughs> and knew little to nothing about the attributes of black people, whatever that even means, because the only attribute a black person has is the color of his skin that distinguishes him from non-black. So that's what she's talking about. Color is what matters to this person. And what does that mean? I'm not going to say it. You know, the only black people who have ever played a direct role in my life have been my own personal friends who happen to be black, and to my family of in-laws back in my married days, many of whom also happened to be black. We all lived and got along quite well under the same roof, and never once that I can recall did an issue of race or racism ever get brought up. We, we didn't even see color between us. We went to each other's weddings, funerals, everything, family, right? And, of course, you already covered Salim Mansour, and, uh, you know, he's from India, so I don't think his white uh, redneck parents would, would agree with, <laughs> with what Alfonso has said here. And then to say that, that we and Donald Trump included ain't no master race, really, Alfonso, is that where you're going with this? All I can do is say, shame on you. Your Exhibit A with respect to Obama's legacy on race relations in the United States and how about that Facebook post, Robert, by that David V guy? He posted a picture of a piece of excrement uh -huh. floating in a punch bowl with a caption that reads, quote, America's turd in a punch bowl. I had to hide that, Bob. It was disgusting. It was. You know, that's not, that's not fair game, if you ask me. That's not commentary. No. We, discussed, we contemplated it for a couple of days. We left it up there for a day or two. And then, of course, we hid the post if for no other reason than it stinks. <laughs> <laughs> but... Again, no rationale, no reasons, just pure putrid hatred without cause. If a piece of turd is all that David has to offer, then David, clearly you must be full of it. Uh. 
you know, between David and Alfonso, Trump could have no better endorsers when people like that come forward and, and scream about Trump and can't say anything specific other than, than criticize the people who support Trump. That's what they're doing. Interesting, we've got an inter- interesting comment. This now switching to the other side of the coin. Quote, is Salim jockeying to become the third host? I always appreciate hearing from him. And that was from our shortwave sponsor, Paul Lambert. And he says, quote, and, and he likes having Salim. Uh, you know, he likes to hear from Salim. And we like having Salim on, too. This one is a question from writer Frank G., who wrote us on a show. That obviously, we're talking about racism. He says, it always pays to ask forbidden questions. So here's a forbidden question for which I will instantly be labeled a racist, he says. Consider the fact that some ethnics are overrepresented in the prison population. To what extent is this evidence that such ethnics commit more crimes than whites? And then he gets a little humorous and sarcastic, and he, he writes, No, Your Honor, I haven't the faintest idea what the answer to the question is. I'm just asking in case the answer is important. No, I'm not. Never have been a member of the Ku Klux Klan. No, I don't own a gun or any bomb-making materials. No, really, Your Honor. <laughs> and he writes on, goes on like that. Just asking, he says. Well, that's a question we've dealt with a lot since even the early days, and, and it's not a new argument. The left certainly uses it a lot. But Here's the key. Representation is a political concept only. The, the, the fact that there may be more or less of some quantity of anything, people, places, or things, is a mere fact, not a political issue. For example, when feminists argue that women are underrepresented in some particular sector of the workforce, like engineering, construction, fire, police, whatever, what they're trying to say is that men are the cause. <laughs> and that's a political statement. That's the difference. When feminists say that women are overrepresented in other work fields, then they're politicizing the issue by explicitly stating that these work areas are ghettos of low-paying jobs, etc. And again, it's men's fault. Even then, overrepresentation is an irrelevancy. Representatives represent others, others who choose to make them representatives. In political terms, overrepresentation in prison by, say, black people would mean that black people voted to put in their representatives, okay? It's ridiculous. It's a complete twist and perversion of the term representation. And all it does is expose the motives of those using it towards political ends, not towards any objective ends of justice. Another letter we've got here is from Scott Williams Oaks, who posted on Facebook, thanks to Bob and Robert for showcasing my email to the Tom McConnell Show on 610 CKTB regarding the false hate crime reporting and subsequent burying of the story because it did not fit the desired narrative of most mainstream media, as brilliantly exposed by Andrew Lawton, who was also featured on today's uh, Just Right. I would also like to thank Bob and Robert for defending my stance and calling out the BS accusation of regular CKTB callers, Sonny, etc. I like and hate everyone equally, he writes. I could give a rat's ass what you believe, where you come from, your race, how you conduct yourself, and how you value an individual's right to life, liberty, and property is what I care about, writes Scott. And then just a brief comment we got from uh, Yitzi, who has been a long, long, long time listener and has written us over many years. And he just wrote this comment. He says, quote, continue to love your insights like how slavery caused racism. Never thought about it that way. In regards to Paul McKeever, his comment about the difference between an anarchy ruled by a band of thugs and proper government, I thought up a term, anarcho-totalitarianism. And we love it. Uh, We thought that was a great one. Yes, indeed. Last two or three here now from, these are all from people who have written us from on having heard us on shortwave. 
And this is from Thomas D. from Postmünster, Germany. And he wrote that he has heard us on Channel 292 Shortwave over in Europe. And he writes, quote, Well, it was interesting to hear Robert Metz, a leading member of the Freedom Party in, in Canada, talk to Paul McKeever, leading member of the Freedom Party of Ontario. To be true, the problems talked about were of minor interest to your European audience, but it was interesting to hear that there are similar issues to be dealt with like we have here. Here I can mention the increasing dictatorship by the European Commission, similar tendencies concerning the policy of our federal government led by Angela Merkel, denying laws made by the same government, etc. It's not right and justice as leading principles, but uh, momentaneous feelings and opinion polls. Not a good basis for government. So, in some ways, it was interesting to follow your program, he writes. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Yes. And this one's from David M. He writes, I was most pleased to hear your program, Just Right Media, on Thursday, the 12th of May, from, uh, he gives the time and everything, on the frequency of 6070 via channel 292 Germany. I heard you on the online SDR radio at Rimini in Italy. And he puts in quotation, or in brackets, global tuners, because he's writing from Australia. Mm -hmm. And, of course, these folks, they send us reception reports. We send them QSL cards, what are called QSL cards. And he asked for us to send him one and, and describes himself as a 48-year-old machinist who has been a radio hobbyist for 30 years. I particularly enjoy tuning into distant microwave and shortwave stations in Australia and worldwide. May you have continued success with your future broadcasts. I look forward to your reply and send many thanks in advance and best wishes from Australia. Isn't that nice? It is. And then finally, our last one for, that we can fit in today and this is from Vashak, who is in Johannesburg, South Africa. And he writes, Hello, guys. Many thanks for the prompt response, referring to our having already sent him a QSL uh, card, because this is his second response back, actually. I really appreciated that you've taken the time and effort to assist me with my hobby. In the meantime, I checked your website and some of the programs. I find it quite encouraging that there is still enough of an audience with enough brains to listen to programs like yours. Programs that require more than 10-second concentration and more than 150 characters to compile. Yes. Anyway, what I really mean to say is, well done. Best regards, Vashak, from thank Johannesburg. You. Well, thank you, Vashak. That's one of the nicest compliments on a rarely mentioned aspect of our show. By the way, uh, people should realize that we do uh, read them all. And there's more from um, our YouTube channel as well. Oh, yes. Yeah, th that we'd never really get into because there's just so many. And, and unfortunately, we rarely, if ever, reply to any of the comments on social media. It's just simply out of time. And because... And quantity. And quantity. And because... When we want to respond to something, we have to give it a, a considerable thought. <laughs> we, That's right. We just don't flip off at people's responses and all that because then it becomes a debate back and forth and it doesn't serve any purpose. No, I want it to serve a longer-term purpose. Mm -hmm. But um, Vashak also sent us a beautiful picture of himself and a postcard of Johannesburg, which, by the way, looked beautiful. So to close our show today on that note, I think would be just right. So be sure... To join us again next week when we'll continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. I 
think we should vote for who's high commander. Sure, we're in a democracy. But can we vote for ourselves? Of course, I vote for me. I vote for me. I vote for me. I vote for me. High commander breaks the tie, I win. Whoa, wait, 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 let's vote again. Well, this time I vote for Harry. Ah, this is America. You've got to wait four years. Oh, oh that's not fair. God bless America.